A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Amen. Thank you, Leon. And you can have a seat. And like I said, keep your Bible open to John chapter 13. We've been preaching through the book of John. And here we are on chapter 13. And, you know, uh, John 13 all the way to the end, it's just kind of like the last days of Jesus' life. John gives us the most information about what happens that last week of Jesus' life. And, you know, they have been told, that is, the disciples had been told before uh, to love. But it's a new commandment here that Leon just read. Because they've never been told to love this way before. They are to love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, uh, you don't need a lapel pin. You don't need a, a, a bumper sticker. Verse 35, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Hey, I'm not, I'm not against lapel pins. I have one on. You can ask me about it sometime. And I'm not against bumper stickers, but listen, Calvary, the proof the sign, the evidence that we are truly disciples of Jesus is this, that we love one another. And that's what Jesus said, and I believe that's what the church of Jesus Christ needs. We need a baptism of the Holy Spirit. We need a baptism of the love of God. And so I want to talk about love today, and how basic is that? The Apostle Paul said, love is the most excellent way. Faith, hope, and love remain, but the greatest of these is love. And so love is the greatest. Now, love is very hard to explain. Sometimes it's hard to express. I mean, uh, even romantic love. I remember when I fell in love with Mary. I couldn't explain it, but I tell you, I felt like a grasshopper on roller skates. I tell you, it's just so exciting to be in love. And I remember uh, the first time I kissed her. I mean, man, how do you explain that? Huh? And I'm talking about romantic love. How much more difficult is it to explain or to express the love of God. And Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So an example is what we need. And in the 13th chapter of John, we have an amazing example of love. And today I want to talk about learning to love, John chapter 13. It's right before the Last Supper you know, uh, Thursday of Passion Week, and we have the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. What a wonderful lesson on love, an example of love. I mean, look at John 13, verse 1. It, it says, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world, to go to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, just underscore that, having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Some versions say that he loved them to the end. Tell us. See, Jesus has given an example of this love, and I want to keep reading to verse 17. So hopefully you have your Bible open, and we're going to just keep on read, reading. The evening meal was being served. The devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, 
After that, he poured water into a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put his clothes back on and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So, you want to be blessed? (laughs) You want to be happy? Then pay attention because Jesus says, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed. You will be blessed if you do them. Jesus said, if you know this and you do it, uh, that's the way to joy. That's the way to blessing. Now, Jesus here has given us an example, and I think there are four qualities in this love that Jesus practiced. And it's all about love. The Bible said he loved them right to the end. He showed them what? The full extent of his love. And I think he's still showing us. And he's still loving us. And he gives them a new commandment that they are to love one another even as he loved them. And now sandwiched between these two verses, between John chapter 13, verse 1, And John 13, verse 34, is the washing of the disciples' feet, which is the great illustration. It's the great example of the kind of love that we're talking about today. And so what kind of love is this? Real love, first of all, it's a selfless love. You can write that in the blank. It's a selfless love. Look at verse 4. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing. Some versions say laid aside his garments, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And then verse 5, after that, he poured water into a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, in Bible times, they did something called foot washing. Uh, They wore, you know, these Jesus shoes, right? Open sandals, and the streets were dusty. And if you came into a home, especially if it was a well-to-do home, there would be a slave there, to actually meet you at the door and there would be a basin of water and a slave would wear a certain kind of an apron that was the mark of a slave, like a towel wrapped around him and tied, uh, tied there in the back. And uh, when you would come in, uh, you would slip off your sandals and the slave would get down on his knees and he would take that cool water and he'd begin to wash and actually massage your feet and just rub them gently and then take that fluffy towel and and just dry them off. And can you imagine what that would feel like? As far as I'm concerned, I think we should reinstate that custom. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, you see, it was meant not only to cleanse, but also to refresh us and to relax us and to restore us and to renew us, that foot massage. You know, if your feet hurt, you kind of hurt all over, don't you? And ladies, my goodness, think of how clean it would keep the house. (laughs) 
Now, in this particular instance, there was no slave there. The disciples had not even begun to think about washing one another's feet. And so after supper, Jesus, what did he do? He removed his garment, and he girds himself with a towel, and that's the apron that the slave would wear. That's what that word actually means. It means the apron of a slave. And Jesus is dressed now as a slave. I mean, here he is, the Lord of glory. He's the Lord that made everything. He's the king of kings, and he's down on his knees, and he's washing their feet. Now, I don't believe it's just happenstance that he took off or he laid aside his garment. That is his outer garment. And I see kind of a glorious lesson here. It's a picture of what Jesus did when he came to this planet, and it's described, isn't it? In that Philippian hymn, Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 5, it says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Do you see it? It's a picture of Jesus laying aside his robes of glory. You see, Jesus laid aside his dignity, but he did not lay aside his deity. And he laid all that splendor and all that glory and all that majesty aside, and he came to this earth actually to serve us. Isn't that what Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says? He didn't come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And what we're talking about here is a selfless love. Now, we live in a culture of me. I mean, there's magazines even called self, right? Meism, selfism, self-fulfillment, self-glory. Oh, Muhammad Ali, remember what he used to say? I am the greatest. And that's the pattern, really, of our culture. But Jesus said no to self, and he laid aside selfism that he might serve others. And Jesus said, hey, if anyone wants to come after me, he's got to what? Deny himself, take up his cross, And follow me. Let me say something else. You can't have real love without humility. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, it says, Love is not self-seeking, but real humility is not going around saying lowly things about yourself. Or going around saying, I'm no good. I'm no good. Real humility is realizing that you're really special and that you really are somebody. And when we go around saying, I'm no good, Well, number one, that's an insult to God because God made you. And number two, he redeemed you. And the Bible says that you're the righteousness of God when you're in Christ. That you are a child of God, a child of the king. You are royal blue blood, a son or a daughter of heaven. And you need to understand who you are in Christ. Real humility is understanding who you are in Christ. Notice verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And so he laid aside his garments and then he washed their feet. You see, Calvary, you can't have real humility until you know who you are. And I'm not talking about being an egotist here. The Bible says, I am what I am, right? By the grace of God. And Romans 12, verse 3, it says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. How am I to think of myself? Not in like sinful exaggeration, not in this false humility, but in sober and serious estimation. 
I am what I am by the grace of God. Jesus knew that he came from God, and he knew that he was going to God. And do you know what I know? I know that I am born of God. And I know that I'm going to God. And I know who I am. Real humility is not thinking lowly of yourself. Real, real humility is understanding who you are in Christ. You see, that frees you up to serve one another. Jesus, knowing he came from God and was going to God. Listen, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6 says that God has made us accepted in the beloved. Now, who's the beloved? The beloved is Jesus Christ. I'm accepted in him. Now, here's the mark of real humility, and here's the mark of real service. First of all, we need to understand that God has accepted us. God has accepted you, not because of anything good in you. He's accepted you because of his grace, and that's undeserved love. That's unmerited favor. We are made accepted in the beloved. We're not valuable. God doesn't love us because we are valuable. We're valuable because God loves us. Right? He just accepts us. Praise the Lord for that. That's grace. God accepts us. And what's faith? Faith is my acceptance of God's acceptance of me. In spite of me, in spite of all my sin, in spite of all my foibles and failures, I just say, bless God. I say, hallelujah. He loves me. He accepts me. That's faith. That what he did on the cross is enough to give me access to my Father in heaven. Grace, God accepts me. Faith, I accept that he accepts me. And then peace. Now I accept me. I'm at peace with God. I'm at peace with others. And at peace with myself because I have now for the first time accepted me. I know who I am. I know that I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I know that I've been saved. I know that I've been redeemed. And I just say, hallelujah, I can finally accept me. Now, that doesn't mean that I accept my faults and I accept my failures and I accept my foibles, but I know Beyond that and beneath that and through that and over that and around that is this grace of God. I know who I am in Christ Jesus. I accept me. And now when I accept me for the very first time, then I'm free free to accept you. And that's love. You see, until I am no longer threatened, you know, I can't really accept you. I will want to use you, I want to abuse you, I want to misuse you, I want to categorize you, I want to manipulate you or merchandise you because I'm not sure of myself. And so therefore I have to be, you know, grasping and greedy and I have to put you down in order to try to push myself up. But when God accepts me and I accept that God accepts me and then I accept me, then for the very first time, I'm free to accept you. Now, when I'm no longer trying to manipulate you, when I can truly humble myself around you for the first time, then you're free to accept me. And that's called fellowship. You see, God accepts me, that's grace. I accept that he accepts me, that's faith. I accept me, that's peace. I accept you, that's love. 
and you accept me, that's fellowship. And it all begins with understanding who I am in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, knowing that he came from God, Jesus, knowing that he's going to God, that the Father put all things under his power, knowing all that, Jesus is then free to wash the disciples' feet. Do you know the people who are not free to love? They don't know who they are in the Lord Jesus Christ. They've not discovered the riches that they have in Christ Jesus. And when you understand who you are in Christ Jesus, then you've got to give. You know why? Because you've got nothing to lose. You have got to give because you have nothing to lose. Listen, real love is a selfless love. There's nothing so empty as a self-centered life. And there's nothing so centered as a self-emptied life. Nothing so centered as a life that says, I don't have to prove anything anymore. I am now free just to serve you and to give myself to you rather than to use you. Real love is a selfless love. But it's also, secondly, it's a steadfast love. Let's look again at verse 1. It says, it was just before Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time, some versions say, knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world. That is, in just a few moments, he's going to be crucified. In just a few hours, he would leave this world and go uh, to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world now, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Or like I said earlier, he loved them to the end. Now, most of us would be saying, you know, I don't have time to, to wash any disciples' feet. You know, I... Uh, I'm going to be crucified here. Um, i got to be thinking of myself, what I'm going through here. You know, in just a little while, I'm going to be nailed on that cross. But the Bible says Jesus knew, and I mean he knew, knowing that dark, 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 uh, dark Gethsemane was there, knowing that, you know, the bitter uh, cross of Calvary was there, knowing the shame that he was experiencing, you know, and the rejection, the humiliation, and all the rest of it was there, He's still loving his disciples. Real love is steadfast. Oh, it's easy to love everyone when everything is lovely, isn't it? I mean, uh, when they love us back. But you know who Jesus was loving? Jesus was loving Judas. The Bible says Satan had entered into the heart of Judas, and yet Jesus washed his feet. The feet of Judas, didn't Jesus uh, teach us to love our enemies? I mean, didn't he, didn't he say that? Yeah. And to do good to those who despitefully use you, thank God Jesus practiced what he preached. And those disciples, I mean, what were they talking about that same hour? Jesus loved them as they argued and jockeyed for position, who would be the greatest. And while they were arguing about who's going to be the greatest, Jesus is washing their feet. They didn't deserve it. And Jesus had other things to think about, but he kept on loving. His love was steadfast. It was to the end. It was the full extent. Do you have that kind of love, or do you want? Do you want that kind of love? Do you have a love that does not change with the circumstances? It's not I love you if, not I love you because, but it's I love you, period. Many times uh, we excuse ourselves, don't we? At least I can, I can speak for myself. You know, I get grumpy at night now. <laughs> I'm grumpy. It's late. I'm grumpy. I have a headache. I'm tired. 
I've been sick. Don't you know the pressure that I'm under? No one was under more pressure than the Lord Jesus Christ. In a moment, he was going to sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is still loving. If you want to know what you're full of, see what spills out when you're jostled a little bit. Amen? See what comes out of you when you're jostled a little bit, and that's what you're full of. It's whatever spills out, and out of the Lord Jesus came this infinite love. And do you know what else tells me? Jesus will never stop loving me, never. I love Romans chapter 8 at the end there. It says, I'm persuaded, neither death nor life, neither angels, demons, neither things present or the future, any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from what? The love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He never stops loving. He loved them to the end. He showed them the full extent of his love. And out of his infinite riches, he gives and he gives and he gives again. What kind of love are we talking about? It's a selfless love. It's a steadfast love, but it's also a serving love. You can write that down. Look again at verse 5. It says, after he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Serving love boils down to this. Do something. Do something. Jesus literally did something. He just didn't talk about love. He actually showed love, demonstrated his love while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. 1 John 3, 18, dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and with truth, just like Nike, just do it. We need to do more than get, get it down on paper as we sit here in the sanctuary and fill out the little blanks on the sermon notes. We need to get it into our lives. Don't just love in word, but in actions and in truth and something else. Real love gives what's needed. Jesus gave his disciples what they needed at the moment. And do you know what they needed at the moment? They needed to be renewed. They needed to be refreshed. They needed to be restored and revived and reinvigorated and and that's what they needed. My mom used to say, you need a spanking. She was right. <laughs> I'm sure I didn't want one. You know, if you love me, you're not going to give me what I want. And hopefully you won't give me what I deserve. What did Judas deserve? He did not deserve to have his feet washed. What did the disciples deserve? They did not deserve to have their feet washed. They were arguing about who's going to be the greatest. Jesus didn't give them what they desired. He didn't give them what they deserved. He gave them what they needed. Real love gives what is needed. A few years ago, uh, I I know a pastor friend of mine, um, he was at a restaurant, and he said the waitress was a real grump. Have you ever had one of those, waiter or waitress? Almost rude, you know? And when he got up, he decided to maybe kill her with a little kindness, and he left this huge tip, you know, over 30%. And as he was leaving, the waitress came up to him and said, sir, you left some money on the table. And the pastor said, hey, don't people leave tips anymore around here? And she said, you mean that's for me? And the pastor said, yes, it is. She said, 
You mean you would give me a tip like that after the way I treated you? She knew the way she was acting. He said, yes, ma'am. He said, I don't understand it. Why? And he said, well, I looked at you, and I could tell that you were hurting. And he said, I knew you must have some kind of problem. I just felt that this might make your day a little bit better. And I just wanted to bless you. And she started to cry, and she said, Mr., you don't know the problems I've got. I got up this morning, and I had a child that was sick. I had to go to work, and the child's the only joy I have, and I don't have anybody else. I don't have a husband. And I couldn't get a babysitter, and I had to leave that sick child at home to take care of himself, and then away to work. My car broke down, and I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't have money to get it fixed, and I was late for work, and my boss chewed me out. And he said, I knew you were hurting. And he shared Jesus with her. He shared the gospel with her right there in the restaurant. And right there in the restaurant, through her tears, she gave her heart to Jesus. And she was wondrously saved. Now, most of us maybe would have said, well, she doesn't deserve a tip. You know, you reap what you sow. You make your bed. You're going to sleep in it. You're going to have to learn the hard way, lady. She didn't deserve a tip. He didn't give her what she deserved. He gave her what she needed. Isn't that right? And that's what love is. Real love doesn't give people what they deserve. Judas didn't deserve that. The disciples didn't deserve that. But Jesus knew at that moment that was the thing that they needed. And that's what Jesus did. And it was just kind of a small thing, you know. You know, washing feet. It was a humble thing. It was kind of an insignificant thing that only a slave would do. And you know something, folks? We've got a lot of those kinds of jobs around the church, just insignificant things, right? Or even as we think about outreach, you know, and whether it's like serving a meal once a month at the Pink House or at the Churches United at the New Life Center or, you know, serving in Bible school, you know, even if you're a grandparent just trying to help out in some way. You know, we always need nursery workers and people to serve at the coffee bar. And once in a while, the trustees ask for volunteers for cleanup day. And we always need folks to help with landscaping or watering flowers or cleaning out the pews or, you know, the list is really endless. And they're not glamorous jobs at all. But they're needed. And real love is serving love, not just in word, but in actions and in truth, and not just giving people what they deserve, but what they need. So what kind of love are we talking about? We're talking about a selfless love. We're talking about a steadfast love. We're talking about a serving love. And last but not least, uh, number four on your outline, real love is a sanctifying love. Look at verse six. It says, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. That is, Peter, there's something deeper than this. You don't see the whole thing. I'm doing something, you know, highly symbolic here. No, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Literally means no fellowship with me. 
Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, a person who's at a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you're clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not every one was clean. Now, what is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about uh, no longer, he's, he's, not, he's not talking about any longer, you know, like physical dirt on physical feet. Now he's talking about some spiritual dirt, and he's talking about forgiveness when he said to Peter, Peter, you don't know what I'm doing now, but you are going to understand later because didn't Peter, you know, he denied Christ, didn't he? And he cursed, and he swore, and he said, I don't even know the man. And then Jesus forgave Peter, and he said, later on that you'll understand what I'm talking about. You see, just as a person has a bath, so we get saved and we're cleansed from our sins. But just as a person who has a bath goes out to walk on the dusty roads, he, he gets his feet dirty. And those of us who have been saved, who know the Lord, you know, we still live in this world that's just polluted with sin, as it were. And you know, we still make mistakes. It's not like we don't sin anymore. We get our spiritual feet defiled sometimes, and we need to come to Jesus not to get bathed again, not to get born again, again, not to get bathed, but we come to get our feet washed. And that is day by day, we just come to the Lord Jesus. We let him renew us and refresh us and restore us and reinvigorate us and we need to come to him for spiritual foot washing that is Jesus now is talking about the forgiveness of sins of daily sin of confessing our sin and getting our sin forgiven and Peter said hey you're not going to wash my foot and I feel like saying you better let him wash it Peter because you're going to put that foot right in your mouth pretty soon right because Jesus said listen if I don't wash your feet you have no part of me you have no fellowship with me and here's the lesson. If you don't come to Jesus daily and let him wash your feet, you can't have fellowship with him. Daily confessing your sin, daily letting him restore you. You see, his love, it's a sanctifying love. It's a cleansing love. And our love is to be a sanctifying love. And, and we're to wash one another's feet. Verse 14, it says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. So if he forgives us, then we should forgive one another, right? Of course. If he forgives me, then I am supposed to forgive you. And what does the Bible say? In Ephesians 4, 32, be kind, compassionate one to another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. The Bible says, if a brother be overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual should restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, in a spirit of humility. The only way you can wash somebody's feet is in humility because when you're down there washing feet, you can't look down on anybody, right? Restore such a one in the spirit of humility. Restore such a person in the spirit of meekness. Humility is washing someone's feet. Mary and I had a wonderful time yesterday. We went up to celebrate Elias. He's our oldest grandchild. He's turned seven. And he had this Nerf war party and everything. But part of the day after that birthday party was their church that they go to now. It's called Epiphany Station. Kind of a neat, you know, Bible church type thing. And, and they're kind of in this older warehouse and 
kind of a startup church, but they had a special thing yesterday afternoon for parents that wanted to dedicate their children and themselves to the Lord. It was neat. And, you know, they had a few uh, baptisms as well by immersion. And when we got there, you know, they would take each family up and then ask questions like, hey, are are you wanting to follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you wanting to teach your kids to follow Jesus in church? Are you going to help this family uh, lead these kids to faith in Jesus Christ? And, and Mary and I just felt so blessed. We got to stand up there with them. And, you know, I didn't have to be the pastor. You know, I was just the grandpa, you know. It was, it was wonderful, awesome, awesome church. I just felt like a, a good family spirit there. But on the sign going in, it said, Epiphany Station, Misfits Welcome. I thought, awesome. Are misfits welcome here? Are they? Misfits welcome. A lot of times, a lot of times people don't need a lecture. I have a tendency to preach that way sometimes, but they need love. They need restoration. Listen, is there somebody who has done you wrong? Hey, Judas is going to betray Christ. The disciples had mistreated and abused Jesus, and here he is. He's washing their feet. He's restoring them. He's refreshing them. He's renewing them. Now, if he's done that for us, don't you think we ought to do it for one another? I mean, do you know what real love is? Real love, it's a sanctifying love. You know, it's just not condoning sin, but it's saying, you know, I love you. You know, it's just like Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. It makes the other person what they ought to be, and it loves them into fellowship with one another and with the Lord. That's what real love is. Now, use your imagination with me. Imagine Jesus Christ walking into the sanctuary right now, and he's got this towel, and he's got a basin, and suppose out of all the people here, he walks right up to you, and he looks into your eyes and you're face to face with Jesus and he's got that towel and he's got that basin and imagine Jesus asking you a question he says may I wash your feet what if he said that this morning I mean how would you feel I mean to have the Lord the maker of the universe the one who died for you ask the question may I wash your feet and at first you might say oh no Lord you can't wash my feet and then you remember what Peter said wouldn't you and then you'd say probably with, you know, hot, salty tears coming down your cheeks, overwhelmed with this inexpressible love. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Wash my feet. Wash my feet, Lord. And can you imagine him untying your shoes and removing your socks and taking those nail-pierced hands and bathing and massaging your feet this morning? How would you feel if he did that? And then suppose when he finished, he looked at you and he said, now... My child, will you wash my feet? What would you say? You would look down at those nail-pierced feet, those feet that walked the dusty shores of Galilee that we just visited, those feet that never walked in sin, saturated with emotion. Maybe you would say, yes, Lord, I would gladly wash your feet and with humility and with honor you just kneel before 
the Lord and lovingly you would bathe the feet of Jesus. Now that's all imagination. So let's lay imagination aside. And let me tell you, Calvary, that Jesus Christ, he's here this morning. And he said, when two or three meet together in my name, I will be in their midst. And Jesus Christ is here. And his presence is here this morning. And he wants to wash your feet. Are you willing to let him? Are you willing to let him cleanse you and forgive you of every sin and restore you and renew you and refresh you? Are you willing? Now I want to ask you another question. Are you willing to wash his feet this morning? You say, well, I'll wash Jesus' feet. Well, let me tell you something. Jesus said, in so much as you've done it to the least of these, my brothers, you've done it to me. Now, don't tell me that you would want to wash the feet of Jesus if you don't want to wash the feet of that brother or that sister. You know, the obnoxious one in the church, the one that you don't like, the one that you kind of avoid, the misfit in the church. Don't tell me you will want to wash the feet of Jesus if you're not willing to wash their feet. You say, they don't deserve it. You're right. But that, my friend, is love. That's the love I'm talking about today. That you would wash some feet. Is there anybody that you're holding a grudge against? Is there anybody that's done you wrong? Are you willing to kneel before them and say, I want to refresh you. I don't want to hurt you. I want to help you. I want to restore you. I want to renew you. I want to wash your feet. I want to love you. I want to forgive you as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven me. Friend, Jesus said, if I, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. He said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So let's go wash some feet. Amen. Father, we thank you for your love that you're pouring out on us every day. Lord, I pray that our lives would be open to the Spirit of God, that you would pour your love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We know these three remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love, and it's not self-seeking, Lord. I pray that you would show us what it means to deny ourselves and to take up our cross and follow you, and as you gave us this awesome example of love, washing your disciples' feet as a slave, God, I pray that we might do that to you as we think about the least of these and what we might call the misfits, Lord. I pray that the misfits would be welcome here at Calvary and that you would show us how to love people and to just love them into the kingdom and love them into that sanctification, Lord, that is that holiness that becomes more and more like you, Lord Jesus. And I thank you for opportunities to, to give the tithe, not because you twist our arms or you make us do anything, Lord, but that you call us to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and to bring our offerings to you and express our love joyfully in this way. So I pray that we would joyfully worship you right now as we bring to you the tithe and our offerings as an expression of our worship and our love. All this we pray in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.